Hello there, I'm James Barr and welcome to a new episode of LSHTM Viral, the podcast bringing you expert analysis of the coronavirus outbreak and explaining the science behind the headlines. Misinformation is making headlines during this outbreak. But how damaging is it? And what can be done to combat it now and in the future? From claims that the new coronavirus was created and leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China, to the US alleging Russia is spreading disinformation about the new coronavirus outbreak on social media. Our guest today is anthropologist Professor Heidi Larson. Heidi is director of the Vaccine Conference Project here at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. Her previous roles included Head of Global Immunisation Communication at UNICEF. Heidi, welcome. Uh, Many thanks for joining us. Misinformation seems to be growing surrounding this coronavirus. What kind of misinformation are we seeing and why are we seeing it? Well, one of the problems or challenges with coronavirus is that there's a lot, still a lot of uncertainty. So we're not even sure sometimes what is misinformation and what isn't, because it's a, a time of learning constantly. But there are things that we do know that are not uh, accurate, like eating garlic and drinking a lot of water will prevent coronavirus, or that actually the virus uh, came out of a, a nearby lab in Wuhan. There's been plenty of evidence since then that have confirmed that it is absolutely from wild animals. We're just needing to pin down more specifically. And what damage do you think this kind of misinformation is having in control of the outbreak? Well, it affects people's behaviors. It affects the behaviors of markets. It affects the behaviors of economies. Um, We've seen the knock-on effect around the world uh, of the stock market, of flights, of people's work, of schools being closed. So there is a kind of direct and indirect knock-on effect. And also then um, the issue is when you make choices based on partial information, it may people may get scared, they may go against the grain. Uh, we also saw initially there was a real panic around people getting masks. So there was a lot of mask hoarding in the beginning, and it meant that some of the people that actually needed masks weren't getting it. Do you have empathy with people over misinformation or who are receiving that misinformation? how How can we stop that? Well, I do have empathy. Um, There's a whole spectrum of mis- and disinformation, and some of it is totally understandable in a time of uncertainty. And there is misinformation out there that is purposefully placed to kind of disrupt and misguide people. That I don't have any empathy for. That's quite damaging. But for people who are caught in this whirlwind of a lot of conflicting information, Yes, I do. And and I also have empathy for people who have been in lockdown and what the anxieties are around that and basic things like, you know, getting food in the refrigerator, getting good, getting water, uh, really basic survival things. I mean, this misinformation is, is not a new phenomenon. We've seen it during many outbreaks before. We see it in vaccines. What are the what are the issues and what can be done about stop of this the spread of this misinformation well i think we need to look at why people believe it Um, misinformation goes back to the dark ages i mean it's always been a phenomena in society Uh, we had fake news in the 1800s so (laughs) uh, it's it's not brand new it 
moves faster because of social media and and can get distorted and be more disruptive. Um, but I think that the important thing, though, is to build people's confidence and trust in authorities or in science or in the, the right uh, sources of information so that they make the right choices in the whole spectrum of information. So it's really looking at the trust behind it and making sure people are believing the right thing to the extent that they know the right thing. How do we do that? Well, I think that every outbreak is an opportunity. Um, I think that these are times where you remember who helped you out the most, who gave you assurance, who guided you, who you could count on. So these are real opportunities and important ones for building trust. And you're director of the Vaccine Confidence Project here at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And uh, you've been analysing the trends of misinformation and why people around the world have a lack of confidence in things like vaccines. What's your research showing? Well, our research is showing, actually, what we see with vaccines is reflective of deeper trends in society, politics, society, uh, trust relationships or distrust. Um, and there, there, is, there are disruptive factors. In fact, we're expanding our scope from the Vaccine Confidence Project to look at confidence in science more broadly. Uh, we have issues with trust in climate change science. We have issues in other areas. But to me, it reflects... Um, a real importance of getting back to building trust in science and in the people who deliver it. And I think that's going to really start in really younger school-age kids. Could schools' parents be doing more? I, I Absolutely. And some, some of the younger uh, kids in high school and, and even younger, um, they're much more aware of the risks of social media, fake news, false identities. The generation that, you know, started with social media as a new toy that could only see the opportunities in it. And we've been, we've matured a bit in the sense of our understanding that some of this stuff is risky. And I see an emerging younger generation, I mean, really younger school, um, who are really starting to um, embrace science, and I think we need to encourage that from the beginning. Talk to kids in school about really basics about immune systems and how vaccines actually uh, trigger your own natural immune system. Really get them to understand it, and I think that they'll be our best advocates. I certainly never learned that at school. It was a few years ago now, but I certainly never learned that, so that's really interesting. It's also the companies as well. There's a lot of controversy about uh the social media companies doing enough to combat misinformation. What's your view? Well, actually, we work a lot with and and collaborate a lot with uh, the tech companies, social media platforms. Um, I think that they get a lot of uh, finger wagging from authorities that they should fix this problem, but actually, they're not content experts. They're really working at the the algorithms behind. And I think that there's a lot that they can do in terms of trying to mitigate the amplification of risk and, and anxiety um, through their technology. But at the end of the day, we also need to um, we need to think of the broader ecosystem of information and trust relationships. So I think 
they're doing important work. There's always more they can do, but how does that link to other things? Because if you shut down a Facebook page or a Twitter handle, that's not going to stop people from having the sentiments they do. They'll just jump to another platform. Yeah, so we need to think more broadly. There's no easy solutions to this, is there, Heidi? No. <laughs> I saw this morning um, on Facebook public health advice on how to protect yourself against coronavirus. Is that a good example of the sorts of things that social media companies are doing and need to do more of? Yes, absolutely, to the extent that they can and feel that they um, have access to the right information. I do know that they uh, liaise a lot with the World Health Organization and other ministries and local health authorities. Uh, I think most of those ads are just opportunities to then link them to other sources. And in that sense, they're not putting themselves out as the content expert, but really as the as the guide to the right sources. And I think that's really uh, a huge value and, and contribution. It sounds as though everyone's got a role to play from parents to health workers to scientists to communication specialists. Everyone's got to pull together for this. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's touching all aspects of society. Heidi, we're running out of time. Thanks so much for joining us. But we can't let you leave without talking about where we are in terms of a vaccine for this coronavirus. There's a lot of talk about a vaccine. The Chinese were mentioning this morning, I saw in the media, that they might have a, an oral vaccine. Um, but we're a long way off, aren't we? Well, vaccines are never quick to make, but I have to say one of the benefits or one of the positive outcomes um, after the West Africa Ebola outbreak uh, was the establishment of CEPI, which is a funding mechanism for vaccines and, and other uh, important outbreak-related technologies. And it was incredibly quick. They turned around funding for four candidates uh, for coronavirus uh, vaccines, and they are in process. So it won't be next week, for sure. And the, even when you once you have the candidate, you have to make it to trial it and go through all the obvious safety regulations. So um, things are moving quicker than than usual, which is great. Uh, but I don't think we can wait for that. But in the time that we have while that's being developed, that's the time to be building the trust relationships. That's the time to be preparing the public for the readiness for the opportunity for a vaccine. And Heidi... Your work and your, the work of your team in the Vaccine Confidence Project, what have you learned that could help us or help the world roll out this new vaccine if and when it happens? Well, I think the preparedness, as I mentioned, of populations and really um, being alert to where the weak spots in the in the society and community are where you already have uh, marginalized or, or distrusting groups for your normal vaccine uh, uptake might be areas you need to work a bit harder to build the confidence. But we've also learned that you can have a fantastic new vaccine and in one setting, it goes beautifully, and in another setting, total disruption. And it really depends on the political landscape, how much people trust the government, because vaccines are always regulated, recommended, and sometimes mandated by government. So if you have any issues with government, it's a challenge. So I think that 
every setting needs to prepare and don't assume because it goes well in one place, you can take it for granted somewhere else. And working with local communities, I imagine that's vital. Local communities, local health authorities, with the public themselves and school kids. Heidi, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks. For more information, please visit our website, lshtm.ac.uk, and stay tuned for our next episode, continuing to explore the science behind the coronavirus outbreak with our experts here at LSHTM. Remember to subscribe to LSHTM Viral, and thanks for listening.